0: And um, I just wanted to share with you uh, with you all some cool stuff that I've been dipping my toes into and then invite you to try it out. So um, this is several years ago. I was hanging out with Jesus up in the mountains, kind of uh, in a cabin, and I was um, reading through the book of Deuteronomy, um, which is an, a fascinating read. I came up to, uh, to chapter 17. Check this out. Oh, that's a uh, creepy-looking guy up there. Jeez. Uh Okay, so, so I come up to, um, uh, no wonder some of you looked panicked. I'm sure that, that picture came up. <sighs> um, even scarier than real life. Let's see. Okay, so check this out. I'm reading in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let's read this together, okay? And when he sits on his, okay, no wait, seriously, all together. Okay, one, two, three. And when he sits on his royal throne, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, out of what is before the Levitical priest. Next verse, 19 maybe, yeah, okay. And he shall keep it with him and he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn reverently to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Next verse, that his mind and heart may not be lifted up above his brethren and that it may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. You're doing good. You're fading a little bit, though. Let's uh, let's get this moving here. So that he may continue long, he and his sons, in his kingdom in Israel. Okay, so what this is is before Israel had kings, God was calling the shots and he was leading the show. But he did this little prophetic thing where he looked into the future and said, at some point you guys are going to be like, we don't want you to be the leader. We want a king like the other nations. So they were like, God, you're not good enough, kind of. We need somebody physical to like help us figure stuff out like the other nations. He goes, so when that happens, he's like totally checking out the future for these guys. When that happens, here's the first thing I want a king to do. Go back to verse 18 if you could, Abby. Jeez. Um, it says, when the king sits on his royal throne, he'll write for himself a copy of this law in a book out of what's written before the Levitical priests, okay? So here's the deal. The, the, the tribe of Levi was designed to kind of minister to God, minister to the Lord. Um, and they had this copy of the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. Well, the king is instructed, the first thing that he does is supposed to handwrite a copy of the first five books and keep it with them and read it all the time. I never saw that before. Then I started thinking about the kings of Israel and wondering how many of them actually did that. Well, I know at least one did. And I can tell because, uh, and I'll tell you about that in a second, but I know that King David did it. Um, I know that a whole bunch of them did not do it. But while I was reading that, I was sitting there thinking, wow, what a cool thing. You just sit there and handwrite out the first five books of the Old Testament. That'd take forever. It was September of this particular year. And uh, I just felt the Lord nudge me like, hey, in the New Testament it says, you're a king and a priest to me. So, what if you wrote the first five books by hand? I was like, me? For real? Yeah. So, I took the challenge and from September to January, I hand wrote out the first five books of the Old Testament. You guys, it was mind-blowing what I learned because... Like, you always hear these different Bible stories, and they're in different, like, little chunks and stuff, right? Or like, this story here, and then jump way over, and it's this story here, or this concept, so it's, like, bouncing all over the place. Well, when you just write it, like, all first five books, right in a row, you learn so much stuff. I mean, I got my mind blown, like, day after day after day. And this forearm was, like, really strong, and this forearm was, like,
1: meh, meh, meh.
0: Looked like Popeye on this side, and, and uh, Olive on this side, so... Um, anyway, I I decided to do that, and it was just a beautiful way for me to, like, increase my friendship with Jesus. I'd never tried hanging out with them like that before. And so for some of you that are thinking, hey, in this new year, I'd like to try hanging out with them in a different way, um, at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to try something that I'm doing this year, and just invite you on the journey with me. But it involves writing down Bible verses, really amazing. So um, that kind of sets the stage for, for what I want to yak about. Just at the end of last year, 2019, I was sitting there praying, Lord, what's the word that you want me to focus on for the season? And his word to me was intimacy. Um, intimacy has a bunch of different meanings, but basically I just felt like he said, I want our friendship to get stronger and closer and better. So I was like, okay. What specific, like, practical things do I need to implement so that I can get our friendship moving in a stronger and more close way? And I remembered that time of writing the first five books of the Old Testament. So I said, Lord, I mean, do you want to hang out and do some writing again? And he said, absolutely. In fact, I want to invite you to write the entire New Testament this year. And so I was like, that sounds great. Let's do it. It was, a, it was an enriching experience the first time. I know it's not for everybody, but it really helped me because it's not just reading through it. You're like reading it, and then you're saying it as you're writing. And then you can only do like a few words at a time. So you're looking back. Man, you see some incredible stuff. So my first book that I did this year was Philippians. And uh, in Philippians chapter 4, we got the verse up here. Check this out. I'm just sitting there writing along. And let me just set the stage for you here a little bit. Um, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he was in this chapter he's like you guys I gotta tell you something it means so much to me that you guys sent me like a gift Uh, and this is specifically what he says I was made very happy in the Lord that now you have revived your interest in my welfare after such a long time you were indeed thinking of me but you had no opportunity to show it so I'm just sitting there writing that And when I got to this part, I was very happy in the Lord now that you have revived your interest in my welfare. Something on the inside of my heart was like, it just kind of pinged. And so I I stopped writing and I was like, what's that about, Lord? And he said, when you revive your interest in my welfare, I do a reviving work in you. So I have a bucket list. I love just geeking out and thinking about weird stuff that I'd like to do or accomplish or whatever. It's a combination of things that I want to do with Jesus and things that I want to do with Tara and, you know, all this this stuff. I'm a dreamer, so I kind of really connect to that idea. So it occurred to me that as you get to the beginning of each year, everybody does these resolutions. Does anybody do resolutions or goals or anything at the beginning of the year? Show of hands. Yeah. Okay. All right. When you do that, basically what you're doing is you're reviving your interest in something. You're saying, oh, okay, that's an important thing, and I want to try to engage in that deal. Well, this verse up here, can we see that again, Abby, just one more one more time? It made me very happy in the Lord, now that you revived your interest in my welfare. I was hanging out with the Lord, and he goes, Dave, I want you to revive your interest in my welfare. Sometimes it's it's like you want to revive your interest in something so that you get the benefit. What happens when you revive your interest in something or someone so that they get the benefit? It's beautiful. You know what that's called? Friendship. It's being friends. I don't know, man. Sometimes I just get sucked into this idea that I'm just trying to get stuff from God all the time. When he's like, Here's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in you necessarily spending a ton of time to me with me, just so you can ask me for fifty thousand things every day. You know, it'd be really nice is if I had a friend who's interested in my welfare, who wants to hang out and be like, "Hey, Lord, I, I'm not here talking to you about my stuff today. I'd actually like to know what are you thinking about today, what's on your mind, what's on your heart, what's like firing you up, what's making you cry." I'd like to know, because I want to be your friend. When we revive our interest in the welfare of Jesus, something crazy happens. So I'm like a a kind of a revival nerd. For those of you that don't understand the language, um, there's these times throughout history where God has showed up in profound, crazy, beautiful ways that kind of break all the rules, and people call those revivals. It's not like where you jump into a church and say, we're going to go 30 days in a row and worship and pray and all that stuff and call it a revival. It's something that God does. It's not something that people do. Well, interestingly enough, if you study revival history, every single revival in history was preceded by prayer. In other words, a bunch of people just, they just start praying and praying and praying, and then God shows up and blows their minds. Well, I know that, but... It also felt like the concept of revival was a bit of a lottery. Like, yeah, I I just hope someday, you know, God will just kind of pour out this, this lottery revival thing. I don't know if it will ever happen. I hope it does, but I don't know if it will. I started realizing that I had this revival mindset that was tied to a lottery mindset. But I know that looking back at history, revivals get kicked off when people start praying. All right, let me de-religify this for you. When people make a decision to grow in their friendship with Jesus and actually put time into their friendship, Jesus responds and starts doing crazy things in your life. It's like super straightforward. It's just like any relationship. What you put into, there's going to be reciprocation. And sometimes, like God's so good because you're not investing in the relationship at all, and he's like, I get where you're at, and I'm going to bless you anyway. Because I like you. That's mind-blowing stuff. But just in normal relationships that we all have, when you invest in a relationship, that relationship, if it's healthy, typically invests back in you. What happens there in the context of Jesus is transformation starts happening. We start thinking different. We start acting different. We start spending our time differently. We start spending our money differently. Like it just hits every part of who you are. Because you're hanging out with Jesus a bunch. Does that make sense to everybody? Am I boring you to tears? Are we doing okay? Okay. So I see this verse, and it occurs to me that Jesus has invited me into writing the New Testament, not as some religious activity, but as a way for me to practically grow in my friendship and intimacy with Jesus. So I, I finish up Philippians. I, I got totally rocked by that one. And I was like, okay, where to next, Lord? And I felt like he said the book of Acts. So I'm writing down, uh, check out uh, Acts chapter 1. I'm just writing through this stuff and check out what I found. All of these, with their minds in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, let me give you the story. Jesus comes back from the dead. God raises him from the dead. He hangs out with his buddies for like 40 days. And then he ascends to heaven. This is like right at the beginning of the book of Acts. Then he tells them all, hey, guys, go hang out in Jerusalem for a little bit. And Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, the promise. So they were like, okay, well, there he goes. And so I guess it's time to go to Jerusalem. So they cruise over. They find this place. It's kind of like above another structure. They call it the upper room. So there's a room above the normal living space. And a bunch of people start hanging out up there. Well, it was like 120 people. But here's, here's, so this is where we drop in. All of these people, with their minds in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer. You know what that says right there? It says, uh, when it says, their minds in full agreement, they devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer. It means they revived their interest in the well-being of Jesus. They were just like, you know what? We're going for them. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to get some buddies together and we're going to start praying and going after our friendship with Jesus. We're going to devote ourselves to this stuff. Have anybody experienced in your lifetime a time when you have devoted yourself to something? Like wholeheartedly, a business, a relationship. Like any of you ever um, had a relationship where you're just all about them? You can't get them off your mind. You're devoting yourself to that person. This is exactly what they did. They were like, you know what? All we're going to do, and we're going to do this in full agreement with each other. We're going to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer. We're going to wait together with the women. Now check this out. I was writing, and it says, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and Jesus' brothers were there. I don't know if I never learned that or if I just forgot, but when I was writing it, I was like, Mary was in the upper room. That means she was there when the Holy Spirit got poured out. She was out in the street speaking in other languages to people and declaring the glory of God. And Jesus' brothers were too. I never knew that. I mean, just think about that. The family dynamic. Like, you see Jesus' brothers show up earlier in the story when uh, they were headed to Jerusalem. And they were like, hey, Jesus, are you going to come? And he's like, I'm not with you guys. And so they cruise And then he shows up later kind of um, in a hidden way. He's like wearing a cloak is my imagination. Walking in, slinking around Jerusalem. um, Kind of keeping a low profile. Jesus' brothers show up in his story and it wasn't always like his brothers were his biggest fans. But over the process of Jesus' life and his ministry, they saw something totally different. And his family got so convinced, this guy is the Messiah, he's the Christ, they started like devoting themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting for the Holy Spirit. His family was in there, man. That's an amazing thing. I didn't know that. So, later in this chapter, Holy Spirit gets uh, poured out. And then uh, check out chapter 2. Okay. All right. So this is Acts chapter 2, 1 through 47. Let's read this together, but let's do it strong, okay? Take my way, my voice away from the mic. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven, like the rushing of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. Okay, stop right there. Could you just use your imagination? Take this out of like uh, reading verses on a screen. Put yourself there. Close your eyes with me, if you'd like to. Um, Close your eyes. They're all sitting in this room. There's 120 people up there, and they're frothing at the mouth for Jesus. They're like fully devoting themselves to prayer. They're in. I don't know if it looked rowdy. I don't know if it was quiet. But all of a sudden, this sound, check this out. It says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven, like a rushing, violent tempest blast. It was like... This massive sound. I mean, people had to be like, you know, like freaking out. And it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. Next verse. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were separated and distributed and which settled on each one of them. Yeah, yeah. Keep reading with me. And they were all filled, diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other different foreign languages or tongues, as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue in appropriate words. Next verse. Now, there were residing in Jerusalem Jews, devout and God-fearing men from every country under heaven. And when this sound was heard, the multitude came together, and they were astonished and bewildered because... Each one of them heard the apostles speaking in his own particular dialect. Guys, this is crazy. The sound comes so much so that people from around in the city were like, what in the world was that? It wasn't like a little tiny sound in a little tiny room. It stirred everybody and made them run out into the streets. Anybody looked on YouTube and watched any of these like fail videos or anything when an earthquake starts rolling? Everybody runs out into the streets. Why? Because they don't want stuff to fall on them. Two, because it's like, ah, you know, you just kind of go nuts and you run into an open space. It's exactly what happened here. There's a sound that was heard all the way around, and everybody flipped out, ran into the streets, right there where the apostles are, speaking in their own languages. Now, check this out. And they were beside themselves with amazement, saying, are not all these who are talking Galileans? And the reason that they were flipping out was because they were saying, how in the world could these guys know our language? Check this out. Next verse. Then how is it that we hear each of us in our own particular dialect to which we are born? Next verse. Okay, this is just a bunch of places that they came from in the next three verses. And there's some more. And there's some more. Okay, but back up one verse. Sorry, Abby. Uh, right here at the end. Um It says, Cretans and Arabians too. We all hear them speaking in our own native tongues and telling of the mighty works of God. So Holy Spirit shows up, starts giving them different languages to speak that declare the mighty works of God. Go with me here for a second. Is that insane? Like, you know English. What if all of a sudden, Holy Spirit's in this place, you're all devoted to prayer, and you start speaking a different language? Maybe you don't even know what you're saying, but you're running outside with everybody and you're just like, speaking in these different languages. I know how to speak in Turkish, by the way. Um, Oh, wait, this is live streaming. Dang. Sorry, everybody. Um, (laughs) Next verse. And they were all beside themselves with amazement and they were puzzled and bewildered, saying to one another, what can this mean? Well, then Peter jumps up. He says... Uh, or other people were making a joke of it and derisively saying, these people are simply drunk and full of sweet, intoxicating wine. Strawberry wine. Okay? But Peter, he stands up with the eleven. He raises his voice and addresses them. Okay? There's thousands of people that just ran into the street. Thousands. There's more than 3,000. There's a ton of people running around. So he raises up his voice somehow. Somehow. And talks to 3,000 people without a microphone. He says, alright guys, you Jews and all the residents of Jerusalem, let this be explained to you so that you can know and understand. Listen carefully to what I have to say. He goes throughout the rest of this chapter and talks about, I mean, he throws it down on these guys. He goes, listen, God came in the flesh, lived on the planet, you guys missed him so bad that you ended up killing him you guys did it. And at the end of it, they started panicking. It was so compelling what he was saying. He just told them that they killed God that got sent down here. It was so compelling. They all started saying, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do with this? He goes, you know, you know what you're supposed to do? Give your lives to Jesus. Get baptized right here. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes upon you too. The whole thing blows up. 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus that day. I'm just like writing through all of this story, getting my mind blown. Seeing all the different things. Like, like I rushed past the verses with all the different places. Can we go back to that? Uh, I think it's like verse 8 maybe. Uh, 9, yeah. Look at all the... Okay, for a long time in Jewish culture, it was all about the Jews and God, and everybody else was out. But God had gathered Jews from all of these places so that they would give their lives to him and send them out into these places, not just for the Jews, but for everybody else too. Like, look at all these places, Parthians, Medes, Elamites. These are all actual places on a map. I wish I could show you. Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. I mean, there's people from all over the place illustrating that God's heart is for his word in relationship with his son to be all over the planet, everywhere. So I'm just sitting there writing all this stuff out, getting totally blown away by all this. And as I write about it day after day, I started noticing my heart getting really tender toward God. Like I write at the end of the night, and all of a sudden I find myself grabbing my guitar in my basement and worshiping like in a fresh way that I hadn't done in a while. I wasn't prepping for anything. I wasn't getting ready for a service. I wasn't uh, didn't have any agenda. I was just hanging with Jesus in my basement. Pretty soon, tears are falling down my cheeks. The presence of God's in my house, and I start interceding for my family. I start interceding for my community. Interceding is like it's a form of prayer. It's like where you start. Uh, one of the definitions of interception, intercession, interception. <clears throat> One of the definitions of of intercession is to stand in the shoes of somebody. If you really want to pray well for somebody, put yourself in their shoes. In the book of Romans, it says that Jesus and Holy Spirit intercede for us all the time. You know what they do? They stand in your shoes. They get in your shoes and they look around at your life and they go, whoa. And then they report back to Father, okay, so this is what's going on. So I'm going to pray for them from the place of standing in their shoes. It's powerful, man. Super powerful. So as I'm writing all this stuff down, um, I'm noticing that my heart's getting soft toward God. I'm noticing that I'm like being invited into really sweet times of worship in my own house. And I just felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit as I was preparing to invite you to consider doing something of that with me. Like what if... You guys said, all right, I'll jump in and write the New Testament with you. Not as some religious activity, but as a way to cultivate a closer friendship with Jesus. It may not be your thing, too. By the way, I mean, you're signing up for a neck ache because you're just like this all the time. And your forearms and your hands get tired. It's, It's not like, yeah, this is super fun on that standpoint. Might, like, sign up for a chiropractor simultaneously. But it's doing something in me. You know what it's doing? It's reviving my interest in the well-being of Jesus. It's the weirdest thing. Like I've been doing this for a long time, you guys. I've been preaching for a long time. I've been doing leading worship for a long time, all that. It really doesn't matter whether you're doing it a long time or a short time. There's always this invitation. A non-religious, non-should, non-guilt-oriented, non-shame-filled invitation from Jesus. Come hang out with me. And be my friend. Concern yourself with my welfare. I will show up in your life and I will transform it. I will show up in your family. I will transform it. I will show up in your culture. I will transform it. When we initiate and start reviving our interest in his well being, he shows up every time because he's a good friend. He's not going to leave you hanging. Does that make sense? So anyway, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. I mean, you can be like, yes, I want to join you, Dave, and I'll write the New Testament with you. That's great. Um, I do want to invite you, whether you do the whole New Testament or not, I want to invite you to try it. Try writing out some of the some of the Bible. It is an amazing way to connect with Him. It slows it down. You see stuff you never saw before. And I always, right before I start writing, I say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Jesus. Welcome, Father. Teach me stuff and show me stuff I've never known. It's been so cool. So I just wanted to share that idea with you. We're like beginning of February right here. Usually this is about the time where our New Year's resolutions bite the dust. Yeah. Um, And so what I want to invite you to do is join me in reviving your interest in the well-being of Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, I always like to do just a short Q&A. Uh, do you have any questions, thoughts, anything rolling around, anything that you learned, anything that you were inspired by?
1: I'm going to set the microphone.
0: Yeah, yes, we'll amplify it. Uh, the question was, which version was I reading in? It was the amplified version. So I'm actually writing the New Testament in the Amplified. It's like 30 times longer than normal. Oh my gosh. Adhere to, trust in, rely on. You know, it like goes on and on. But it also has been amazing. It's not been a chore. It's, it's like, it's doing something in me. It's been so cool. What other questions? Thoughts? Did you notice anything? Yes, ma'am. Good question. The The question is, how long do I write? So I kind of let myself off the hook in terms of the length of time I write every day. I just said, God, I just want to hang out with you every day. And so sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes I'm writing for two hours. Because I get like sucked into it. Like I got totally sucked into the story of Stephen. I mean, I got blown away by that story. It's a long chapter too. I just couldn't put my pen down. It was like, I got to figure out. How he wraps this up, what did he say that caused everybody to flip out, lose their stuff, and start chucking rocks at him? That happened. He was feisty in that particular deal. It was wild. So anyway, great question. I just let myself off the hook because if I give myself a, this is for me and and how I'm wired. If I give myself a, you have to do this for 30 minutes, and I miss a day, then I'm going to be like, well, it's got to be an added 30 minutes tomorrow. Now I'm writing for an hour. And it just loses the sweetness and the friendship of it. So, great question. What other questions? Thoughts? Yes, sir, John. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Okay, so John said, uh, he's been here a couple of times. He's new to the community. He's been hanging with Mark and Kara and talking to them a little bit, but as a friend of the church, what do I need? John, thanks by the way, for asking that question. Um, I was like Paul's response to that because I think it's genius. He's like, would you just please pray for me? Um, I happen to believe in the power of prayer. I believe that when we talk to God, stuff changes and shifts and happens. And so if I could give you a verse to pray over me right now, um, it would probably be Romans fifteen thirteen that the God of hope would fill me with all joy and peace as I trust in Him, so that I'd overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and specifically focusing on the trust part uh, for this week, um, I'm I'm having a like some weird stuff went down in, in my family. I alluded to it earlier, where. Uh, One of my sons, I felt like he was in danger. Um, So I had to stand up and kind of be a Papa Bear thing. When you do that, though, it's fairly easy to kind of step back from, okay, God, I trust you in this situation. And I just want to kick doors down and start rolling in with guns blazing. And so that verse is really key because it says, fill them with all joy and peace as they trust you. So if you would, John, pray for me that my trust in God would continue to be anchored. And, uh, and that as a result, I'd overfloweth joy and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me, thanks for asking, man. That's awesome. Uh, anybody else? Thoughts, questions? Yes, sir. What's my favorite verse from the Old Testament and the New Testament? That's a great question. Hmm. Well, from the Old Testament, I, I really do connect with the Psalms a lot. Um, and there's all kinds of Psalms that I dearly love. Um, there's this one that I come back to. It was really big for me again this year. Um, and it's, let me just read it to you really quick. It's um, so you can hear it and so that I don't get it wrong too. Okay, dokie. It is Psalm 126. And, thanks everybody. Okay. This is it. It says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Here's why it's important. Because there's a connection. When God sets you free of stuff, a natural thing you start doing is you start to dream. I'm a dreamer. So this year, God set me free of some really amazing stuff, and automatically I started to dream again. So that's a really beautiful uh, principle in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. It's also one of my favorite verses. It's a beauty. And then I really do like that uh, Romans fifteen thirteen verse, too. I've been kind of geeking out on it a little bit, praying it over myself and my family. Great question. Do we have another hand over here? Or are you pointing to him? Are you pointing to him? Okay. Uh, all right. Um, probably time to hit the road. Let me speak a blessing over you. And uh, if you'd like to, you can just go palms up. This is old school, like 6,000-year-old stuff. Usually when people give blessings they stretch hands out toward the person receiving the blessings and the people receiving have hands open like this. So imagine God stretching his hands out toward you. May Jesus bless you. Not Jesus the religious icon, Jesus the man. May he who is currently alive and interceding for you may he bless you and keep you, guard you, protect you, keep you safe. May His face shine on you. May you get a distinct impression that when He looks at you, He's not ticked. He's not frustrated. He's not angry. But His face is shining because He likes you. May He be gracious to you, empowering you with the Holy Spirit, so that you can be who he made you to be and do what he made you to do. In that order, being, then doing. May your doing in life flow from your being in Jesus. May your identity in Jesus, rooted in him, inform your actions. Inform the way that you uh, interact with your family members at home. May it inform the way that you act at work or at school. May His presence be with you. And may He give you His peace in your bodies, your souls, your spirits, your relationships, your finances. I speak and declare over this community peace to you. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks everybody. Thanks for kind of like listening to my stories and stuff. Being so encouraging, I appreciate it. Mark?
1: Uh, Before we close out, just, uh, I, I want to encourage us um, to respond to what the Lord, whatever he's doing in you. Um, every time we hear the word, it requires a response because God's speaking. Um, and so um, I just encourage you guys to respond to what the Lord is saying to you, what he's speaking to you, what he's stirring in you. Um, and if that might be relationship because you don't know Jesus, then, um, then I just want to encourage you guys to, your response to him is, Lord, I say yes to you. I give you access. I believe in you, and I and I invite you into my life. And so for people that are watching right now on Facebook Live, um, I want to encourage you guys, send us an email, because you might be asking what are the next steps. The next steps are connecting with people who will point you to Christ, and we will do that, and, and we will walk you through it, and, and we'll teach you what Jesus says and how to be obedient to those things, because they bring life. Um, so send us an email at contact at Um, impactrock.com. And let's just respond to him.